Hi guys, you are listening to Just Over 20 with me, Itanu Speaks. This is a new podcast all about navigating adulthood as a millennial and a newly turned 21 year old. This is a space for me to document my journey and get into some great conversation with amazing people all about things from faith to fashion, politics to purpose and everything in between. So to get involved in our conversation, follow at just over 20 on Twitter, me at Itanu underscore speaks. And let's ask our questions, find some answers and get one step closer to being our best selves. Hi, guys, you're listening to Just Over 20 with me, Itanu Speaks. And I have a lovely guest um, here for you today. We're going to be talking all things health, wellness, the media, just like a general chit chat about loads of different stuff. So it's going to be a good conversation. I can feel I can feel it in my bones. So um, a little intro to how I met this person. So I have a roommate. As you guys know, I'm in America studying for a year. And my roommate had a little poster on her wall. And it said from Maddie McCann. Now, anybody from the UK knows, like, the case of Madeleine McCann. So I was kind of shook. I was kind of scared, like, why does my roommate have a letter from Maddie McCann? And I explained the situation to my roommate, and then she introduced me to Maddie McCann. And today on the show, we have (laughs) Maddie McCann. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us about yourself. Tell us the college you go to, what you study, everything. little intro, please. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm Maddie McCann, and I'm fairly certain I am not the girl who's gone missing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we cannot be sure. We can't be sure. We can't be completely sure. I don't have the accent. You don't have the accent, one, but you still get messages from people telling you to come back home, right? All the time. Yeah. Mostly, we found you. We found you. you Where know? are you? When you sent me the screenshot of that, I was like, wow. Because when you said it, I was like, no, it can't, it can't be true. It can't be true because Maddie's blonde. Maddie has blue eyes. I don't know if she's the correct age, but everything lines up. Yeah, but it's but it's I don't not know the what case. my parents are up to. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a really sensitive, serious issue. But you know, <laughs> I love I'm... my parents. I'm so sorry, but you know, we don't know. We don't know. We'll we never don't know. know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I brought Maddie on today because you know sometimes you meet people and you feel like a sort of connection with them without sounding um without sounding strange um when I first met her like the first few times you know we spoke about like oh what do you want to do when you graduate like what are you interested in and I was like I found out that she was also interested in in the media in the same way that I am and we kind of got into talking and then when it was the end of December she was like what are your goals for the new I was like oh my goodness this girl she seems like She's got her life in order. So I want to invite you on to kind of just talk about the media, talk about health and wellness, because this is something that you're quite interested in. Um, If you can tell us a bit about kind of your journey, your story, um, how you got into college, what you study, all of this kind of stuff. And then also um, what makes you interested in things like health and wellness? I would happily do that. Well, I just first want to thank you. I felt that connection too. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's corny. I think it's really real and special um, because you have this very wonderful ability to look at people when you're listening to them and make them feel really, really heard and really seen. Thank you. And you ask good questions. And my family has a saying that you can tell a lot about somebody by if they ask you questions and what kinds of things they ask you. Yeah. So I've always appreciated that about you. Thank you. You're welcome. It's very true. <laughs> um, uh, but a little bit about me and how I got involved and just very cu- and very curious about health and wellness. I got interested in health and wellness and fortunately from some health issues. So when I was 10 in eighth grade, I started getting really severe stomach problems. Mm-hmm. So I would be in in and out of the hospital, going to different doctors with all sorts of different diagnoses, and nothing really seemed to be helping that much. So I thought that if I just figured out a way of eating that made me feel good, maybe that could be really helpful, and that would help me mitigate pain, and I could keep Mm. running cross-country and track. 
which is what I did all through high school. It was a really big part of my life. So in addition to that need, my family always loved food and cooking, and I would always be involved in cooking Mm -hmm. um, when my family would have parties. Like when I was four, I made my first apple pie. Wow. Um, And I started reading different cookbooks that we had in our kitchen from Martha Stewart to Alice Waters, um, The Joy of Cooking, all, all the classic cookbooks that we had in our house. I would read them and read what they would say about mm-hmm. food, emphasizing usually really fresh, seasonal, simple food. And that inspired me to kind of take an approach to eating that would emphasize what would make me feel good. So now whenever I am what I call curating, mm-hmm. I kind of think of it like art. So I like to curate my plate. I like to make a plate of things that will make me feel good. Mm-hmm. So whenever people ask me now, you know, I want to eat healthier, you know, I'm, I want to eat like you, which I get a surprising amount, I always say, well, what makes you feel good? Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, that's part of the fun is figuring out what feels good for you to eat. Mm-hmm. So where I that's where my journey has taken me. And I'm still dealing with a lot of different health problems and nothing is perfect, but it's all about symptom mitigation mm-hmm. and emphasizing the creativity of feel-good food. I have never ever heard anyone speak about food so poetically before um but like what would you say before we get into like you know talking about wellness in terms of like mental health as well because I feel like that's something that you're very interested in alongside your kind of passion for food I'm curious to know when you say you ask people okay what kind of food makes you feel good that if you ask that to me I'd be like chocolate coke sprite and that's not good for me like i'm supposed to be like on a um fizzy drink ban you guys don't call it fizzy drink what do you guys call it soda soda i'm supposed to be on a soda ban um you call it a fizzy drink a fizzy drink yes a fizzy drink um i'm supposed to be on a soda ban um in february so from whom who said that from from me I was like, I can't, in the dining hall, there's like options of like, there's everything, there's Sprite, there's Coke, there's Diet Coke, there's this, there's that. So that makes me feel good for a bit Um, and chocolate. So what would you say to someone like me who, when you ask the question, what kind of food makes you feel good? It's food that's not good for them. What would you say? I'm coming from it very subjectively. Mm. So if I eat something that I have learned repeatedly doesn't make me feel good, then it better be damn delicious mm. be- and very, very special. So I, for example, don't eat a lot of gluten. And I know that's kind of a, that's a buzzword. Yeah. But for me, I've noticed that minimizing that has been actually really helpful. So for me, if I'm going to have a pano chocolat, it's going to be very special and it's going to be something that I look forward to Mm. so that when I have it, it just melts. And And this happened when I was with my mom over winter break, over the Christmas holiday. We went to a really beautiful bakery in Seattle, which is where I'm from. And we just had a moment and caught up together over this thing that I don't have very much. So, This is all to say that feel-good food isn't about banning. It isn't about wanting something and depriving yourself of it. Mm. It's thinking what feels good in all its forms? What doesn't feel good? And when is it worth it? Mm. So for you, if soda is something that you absolutely love, and you feel okay after drinking it, more power to you. I, <laughs> not to sound horrible, but I really don't care. Mm. That's your body. Mm. And I hold no judgment for how people eat if they're listening to their bodies um, in, in whatever capacity that they're able to. So when you say feel good, you're more like saying 
not feel good in terms of like an emotional feel good feel good like within yourself because I was talking to a friend recently and I'm not somebody who knows a lot about like food and health in that in that realm but I was talking to a friend recently and she was saying how she um she's found that when she eats well this is like speaking to the choir and this is saying something very obvious but when she eats well she feels good within her body you know like so you can eat chocolate and feel good because it tastes nice but she's saying that when she eats like um when she eats salad or when she eats like really lovely meal she feels really nice on the inside is that what you're focused more on than like oh an emotional like oh chocolate feels like oh, it tastes so nice Yes, and there's so many forms of feel-good food. It's so subjective. Mm. I would say that I didn't feel the most energized after the pain au chocolat Mm. that I had, and it was delicious, and it was a lovely moment that I had with my mother. So I would still consider that feel-good food. Mm. I also will have a different type of feel-good after I have a beautiful salad Mm. and that's why it's really important to pay attention to how you're feeling and the cues that your body's giving you because your body will tell you every time yeah I think the other part of this is it's really about bodily autonomy and being really present with your body so if you're actually listening to those cues, is because you're taking a moment to think about what you're putting in your body, how your bo- what your body is telling you about it, and what you want to do about it. Mm. It's all that, I mean, that is bodily autonomy. Mm. I feel really lucky that I've been able to exercise the privilege of practicing that for so many years because I have so many choices in what I have access to, the kind of foods I have access to, the encouragement of my parents to let me loose in the kitchen. Mm. I live in a beautiful, I'm from a beautiful city where there's farmer's markets around me and through both my own research, but also the people around me and the guides around me, the mentors around me, I have been able to practice listening to my body. Mm. So if all this smacks of privilege, it's absolutely true. It does. Being able to think about things like, I want to eat this and th- I can make this happen and it'll make me feel this way is, is a gift. Yeah. I think it's very important then we're in a movement where wellness and being present, those are things that are now more than ever in a larger scale, I think because of social media, although they're not new concepts, are being talked about in line with identity Mm. and with the different intersections of our lives that allow us to think about our bodies in a way that is not only about bodily autonomy in an individual but also in a global scale Mm. why is it that I have around my house I have home I have four grocery stores in walking distance yeah and they're fresh and they're beautiful and they're local why is it that that exists for me as an affluent white woman when that doesn't exist for everybody? Mm. And I think that what's really important about what I'm talking about in regards to bodily autonomy is that is so in line with the food structures and the healthcare structures mm. around me. Of course. I find that really interesting because as a politics student, I feel like the lens with which a lot of us look at the world is like what you said. Okay, you're considering that 
near where you live there's four stores that can sell you lovely organic food and then in another place there might just be like one big shop with like those of processed food and a conversation I get into um sometimes with friends is some people that they're, they're they're less wealthy and they're not able to eat well and some people will say oh no that is a choice and I'm like well if you I remember I think it like is stuck into my mind in one of my um classes when I was in secondary school when I was in um middle school when I was in middle school there was a video that we were shown and I think we were learning about poverty and the lady in the video said that she always gives her child processed food like frozen pasty puts it in the oven and gives it to her child because that will keep her full for longer because they're not very rich they were very they were very very poor actually like a really poor british family so it's like this big pie that we put in the oven and give it to her child and that's that image has always been stuck with me so it makes me think hmm when we talk about health and we talk about wellness we're seeing a lot of like avocados and brown bread and 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 grapes and this and tea and chai and whatever but some people the money that they have affords them one pie in the evening so like how do we reconcile that and some people will say oh but it's a choice because that money that that three pounds that three dollars that you spent on that packet of pie you could have bought um some vegetables and some this and some that and this is not a conversation I have often with people but as somebody who is really interested in food and wellness what do you think about when we consider people's um socio-economic position and eating healthily how like what do you think about about that do you think that you can eat healthily with minimum amount of money that it's not something to do with money it's something to do with choice or like do you have any like a different perspective there's a really telling james baldwin quote about how expensive it is to be poor Mm. And so I think any major change in the food care, the healthcare system, and towards food justice, it has to be on a bigger level than an individual. Mm-hmm. So I feel really grateful for all the activists who are rallying communities through guerrilla gardening or through um, educational programs towards um, accessible veganism. Mm -hmm. Veggie Mijas is one that comes to mind. Um, Or uh, Jenna Wortham. She also talks about wellness as a means of survival. Mm not as just an individual endeavor. So what needs to change? There's a lot on this, and I'm in no way equipped to say whether or not somebody with less economic accessibility that I have has, like, what level of choice they have. Mm. Uh, That's not for me to say. I think that it's telling that the activism around wellness right now, around food justice, and around violence reductionism, and the and banning of violence in its many in its many forms, I think that it's important that it's done on a community level if on a policy level that's not happening yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it can't be on an individual level. When it's on an individual level, it actually perpetuates... When it's on an individual level, it actually just perpetuates existing problems. Yeah, and there's a... I don't know if we can connect this, but in one of my classes, one of the teachers was saying that there's this really famous quote like in feminism that the personal is political, but she was like, if you just focus on the personal, then it's like you remove the political side of it. So that's why people say, oh, but Sally over here, she doesn't have a lot of money, but she eats grapes and brown rice and and kale. 
you know, so you can do it too. But we need to think of like structurally, like what you were saying about, okay, where you live, there's four places that you can get organic food. And then, like I said before, then with somebody who's like not as wealthy, there might be one store with their frozen food where they're eating pie. So it's like considering considering stuff and if things don't work at the larger like governmental policy like stage that people in communities figure out like really effective ways to bring people together I agree with that 100 percent um I want to get onto mental health now mental health is something that a lot of people talk about nowadays I feel people do still say it's a taboo subject in like various communities um which is true um but I want to talk about mental health in, like, in a different kind of way. Um, when I met up with Maddie today, funnily enough, we're just coming from like a talk by um the creator of Crazy Rich Asians, and before the talk, we were just having our own little discussion. And you opened your um backpack, and she had three notebooks, and I was like, oh my goodness! Like, I didn't show you, but in my backpack, I also have notebooks in my backpack too, and um. Um, you were talking about like how you like to write things down and sort of like empty your mind I don't know if you actually do the sort of ritual that you said you've learned from Lena Waif do you do it the one of like writing writing stuff down in the morning yeah morning pages morning pages you can we'll speak more about that in a second but we were both saying how we like to write things down like even if it's not coherent we might not necessarily call it like a diary entry but writing things down is a really good way for us to kind of like operate as human beings and um I've always wanted to advocate for that kind of practice like I remember speaking to a friend and she was going through a really hard time and I was like write it down and I say it to a lot of people I'm like write it down and they're like no I'm not good at writing I'm like no this is not an English essay like literally just put it on a page and do whatever you want with it but write it down I remember after she did it she was like I was so happy after I was able to have that release and I was like see see this is a good practice like I'm not I'm not um a psychologist I'm not a friend therapist but that's one practice that I feel that we share to kind of keep ourselves like in equilibrium and um I would like you to speak more about like your general thoughts about mental health and the way you incorporate writing and other forms of creativity or like expression to kind of keep yourself in a in a good in a good state of mind if feel good food is how I think about what I do for my body, what I do for my mind is all about what brings me back to earth. Mm-hmm. When I journal, it's because I'm running at 100 miles a minute mm-hmm. and <laughs> I, I need to bring myself back down. And when those thoughts are happening, it's because they seem bigger than me. But when you put them down... It's, it changes all that. You can see them on the page. You can recognize the patterns. And when you can recognize those patterns, you can overcome them. Yeah. That's been the most helpful thing for me is saying, okay, Maddie, you have a problem. Mm. Let's see what's it, – actually, it's not even that you have a problem. Often it's it's – it's guilt of not feeling light. I love the feeling of feeling really heavy and grounded. And so when I'm too in my head, truly I'm, I feel off the ground. Mm. And so journaling is a good way to recognize you're feeling guilty mm. about not feeling good. Let's get over that. Get over yourself. Mm. And let's just put it down. And that's been incredible personally because it's really opened a lot of patterns of how I think. Mm. And the reluctance that I have to give my thoughts the weight that they deserve. So when I put them down, it says, I hear you. Mm. And I love you and I thank you. Whether those are good thoughts 
or whether those are detrimental thoughts. It doesn't matter. I hear you. I love you. And I thank you for trying to protect me. And now it's my choice. Now that I've put you on the page, it's my choice what I want to keep with me to propel my day and what I need to leave behind on the page. That's really interesting. That's really interesting because the way you describe um, when your head or when your mind is full, you feel like you're light. I feel the complete opposite. When my head is full, I feel like heavy, like I'm carrying. So It's almost like I'm a weight is like in my brain. The way I describe it is the more I think and overthink and I overthink a lot, it's like pouring water into a cup and it's like obviously the it's just a, just about to spill over and then that's when I will write it down sometimes if I've been in like a space where I don't write a lot it's that moment of like if I don't get all these horrible or like overwhelming feelings down in some way I'm actually going to explode or I'm going to be really unhappy but what I want to kind of unpack with you is something that I've been thinking a lot about since like the end of last year and the start of this year is this idea of in today's day and age I feel that we are um we are chasing perpetual joy and the way we see things on Instagram I'll say especially Instagram as yeah especially Instagram and Twitter as well we see a lot of like curated happiness and sometimes it's genuine happiness as well and I think um social media has often been described as a highlight reel and I think that sometimes we think that if we're not happy if we don't have something to contribute to this highlight reel then we're doing life like wrong and for the past two months I've been trying to embrace like feeling unhappy or feeling like scared or feeling angry or whatever those like so-called negative feelings are because I'm becoming aware that I can't be like perpetually happy and I, I don't know I just hopefully that made sense it's just like thoughts that I've been having but I I I I'm wondering what you feel about that because I just feel that in like our generation or in today's day and age we think we always have to be happy like we think that we always have to have a story to tell or a picture to show or or something to be grateful for and although I really do agree with like the practice of showing gratitude and being grateful and being joyful and stepping away from your negative feelings I feel that sometimes we act as though like negative feelings are not natural and I'm trying to um, deconstruct that in my mind because I feel like every one of my friends like says she even tweeted this today something like every feeling is valid it's just how you use the feelings so yeah I'm just wondering like how you feel about this whole idea of today's day and age we always have to be happy and we always have to show ourselves being happy and whether or not you feel like a pressure from that and what do you do with your negative so-called negative feelings First of all, just want to say that it's very powerful if you're coming to the realization that you don't need to be happy all the time and that how you feel is real and worthy of respect to pay attention to. That's really, really, really powerful. Mm. Um, so more power to you for Thank that. You. <laughs> um, I personally feel no obligation to feel happy all the time. Mm. I am in the business right now of thinking about satisfaction in what I do and what I'm dissatisfied with. We feel, if I, I, I firmly believe that joy is going to be the word of the year. Yeah, if, me too. Yeah, you heard it first. Like yeah. if Marie Kondo's show and her book is any any indication I absolutely think joy is going to be the word of 2019 but I'm more interested in satisfaction and dissatisfaction mm. Marie Kondo actually is really telling in this because we think about because because she is emphasizing 
gratitude for what you have and if what you has if if what you have brings you joy and if it doesn't bring you joy toss it out mm. and that i think ties really beautifully into the feeling of satisfaction and gratitude because you're showing gratitude for what you have mm. and you're satisfied with what you have mm. and if you're not satisfied after you've figured out what you have and what you don't need anymore then you can pivot into further joy Mm. it's like unlocking more and more doors Mm. so tying this all back to food actually with my stomach issues I find feeling satisfied even if I'm stuffed really really difficult so I'm in the business in addition to trying to feel good and trying to feel really satisfied after a meal Mm. I also feel this general sense of dissatisfaction all the time that I'm learning to use as energy you mean in terms of food or just in In general So if I'm dissatisfied with something and it's giving me some sort of angst, Mm. I don't need to feel satisfied. I need to recognize why I don't feel satisfied. Yeah, I really agree with that. So that's why negative emotions are really useful. Yeah, because I feel like it's an indication of something. So I've been reading. So I'm a Christian, so I read like a lot of like Bible plans and Maybe I'll put it on the on my Twitter because recently I've been reading some really good Bible plans and I think I clicked on one um, last week and it was about, I don't remember what it was called, but it was something about like um, having burdens or like feeling, I forgot what it was called. But the woman was kind of saying that sometimes you sort of need to listen to like your negative feelings and... Um, unpack them and don't be like scared of them like scared of like yours or something to do with scars and healing or whatever it sounds very like spiritual and up in the air but it's a really good bible plan and she was kind of saying that like you know if you're like familiar with the story um of like jesus and him dying on the cross whether you believe it or not um what like the bible recounts is how when jesus kind of like rose from his death um he identified himself by showing his um what do you call it his showing his um yeah like showing where he he was nailed to the cross like showing that bruise and she was saying that she feels like it's really intentional that that bruise was still there and that like marker of pain was still there because in that marker of pain, like, you know, Jesus was able to identify himself. But then it, it kind of like shows you something about the pain or the anger, or the upset that you have felt, do feel, may feel in the future that one day you can really step out and be like, OK, I had this scar. I felt this way. But like here I am now and I've gone through it or like I've learned how to deal with this like issue or this feeling because she was saying that really and truly if we believe in the bible whatever whatever it is why is it that that scar was still there there's something like powerful about having that marker of pain what did it make you think of Hmm, what did it make me think of it just made me think of like when you hit this thing's really nicely to what we were saying about oprah because we were talking about Oprah because we both really like Oprah, right? And when you started the conversation, you were explaining something to me and you said, oh, she had a really awful childhood. We all know that she had a really awful childhood. But when you listen to her, it's like she's not, she doesn't feel shame. Obviously, these aren't necessarily negative feelings. These are negative things that have happened to her that are beyond her control. But she doesn't feel shame for that and she doesn't try and like, cover up those scars or marks of you know sadness or anger she uses it to make her story even more beautiful and relate to the people that she speaks to and I think that if we are more intentional about yes seeking satisfaction seeking contentment seeking joy but also being aware of um pain 
we create like an even more beautiful story. And I think that what we are kind of, what we do in today's day and age is I can't feel sad. Why am I going to feel sad? I have this, like you say, oh, I have this privilege. I'm a white woman. I'm, I've got this privilege. I'm from the Western world. I'm getting educated. You know, I have no reason to feel this sadness or this anger or this whatever. So we start burying it, burying it. But that sadness, that pain, whatever it is, can be fuel to show somebody, okay, I went through this. This is my battle scar. I felt anxious I felt unhappy whatever the feelings are but like yet here I am you know I think that it's like a powerful like a powerful thing to acknowledge negative feelings because when you don't acknowledge the negative feelings you can never kind of use um the way you got through them to inspire everyone else I feel what I've heard a lot is especially coming from being a resident assistant at my college. What's a resident assistant? A resident assistant is somebody who is a liaison between those in the college who run the residence halls and the dorms, as well as the administration, um, and the student in the student body. So I mentor students, provide resources, and put on community events as well as give feedback to the school um, through this role. And something that I have heard a lot is that students will say something that they're grappling with Mm. and then that they don't feel that they deserve to feel that way Mm. or that they deserve to talk to somebody like a therapist about how they're feeling. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, who is that helping? It's not helping anybody. Mm. It's just being dishonest. And something that I do every night, pretty much, is write out three nightly gratitudes. Yeah. Shout out the therapist who suggested that to me. Um took six years to start doing that but here I am Um, so I'll start out and I'll say okay well I had a really nice conversation with this friend today and we talked about this okay well that's one what's hmm oh well wait this was also really really I had a really informative class today as yeah. well, and and this is what we talked about. Oh, and then also, you know, the smoothie I had this morning was just hitting. Like, all of a sudden, you're in a gratitude mindset, mm. and it, it comes a lot easier once you start on that trajectory, at least when I start on that trajectory. Um, and that's a form of honesty that leads in the way for me to think about satisfaction Mm. and to think about what I'm grateful for. It it kind of clears the air and removes the fog. And then I can see what I actually need to do to get greater satisfaction. Tying it to what you're saying about feeling... Like, I can't um, ever be unhappy. I, I don't subscribe to that because it's a form of dishonesty. And if I, especially especially with the privileges that I hold, if I'm not being honest about what I know about myself and what I don't know about myself, the mistakes that I made and the things that really energize me, all the things, that actually isn't going to help leverage what I have and why I'm on this planet in the body that I am it isn't going to help anybody Mm. it's certainly not going to help myself Mm. so this all to say that for me personally entering with a gratitude mindset is actually more honest than thinking that because I'm in this body and I've had these experiences then I can't think x y or z yeah and i can't feel this way yeah Mm, so 
again, that's like that's bodily autonomy, like what mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. That's about being very self-aware and very appreciative for what you have and making the best with what you have and doing the best you can until you can do better with it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's so cool. I have like a little gratitude um, journal thing by Gazelle London and it uses like African print as a cover. It's really pretty. I don't really use it, I won't even lie, because you know when something is so cute, like you don't want to write in it. But um, (laughs) one thing that I do as well is I started doing it last semester, actually, like, just writing down things I'm grateful for. And it could be something so small, like, oh, I really like that smoothie or I really like the class. And it do- it um, it helps a lot. And I remember a friend saying that, like, when she reads through sometimes, like, her journal entries or her diary pages, they tend to be very, like, negative. And she feels like she writes, um, you know, she writes down the bad stuff. She doesn't know how to to stop doing that and I really related to that because I feel like when I journal it's usually to empty my mind isn't it and if I'm overthinking and I'm in an unhappy place then I write it down and I'm okay but then sometimes you read back and you're like wow my life is just miserable but it's not and I think that when you um start practicing gratitude and jotting down even the smallest things you remember the little things in your life that make it so beautiful alongside maybe the challenges as well because I think sometimes it's easy to document the hard stuff because especially if you use that way as a way of like coping um or as a way of dealing with stuff it's easy to like oh write down oh I had a bad day or I feel bad whatever but then when you reflect it's and you look back you're like sometimes you, you there's so much bad that you're like oh like there, there is some good in my life, but I can't see it. Like, if anybody read through this, they would think my life was just so rubbish. But I think when you start noting down the cute little stuff, it makes you it makes you grateful, ultimately. It does. It and does. It, I mean, I'm grateful today mm. for being able to connect with you about something that I didn't know we shared in common. Mm. I mean, for me right now, journaling has been a really powerful way to work through grief Mm. and I think being able to use my journal in a very it's not going to judge me I'm not going to share it with anybody Mm. I don't even need to read it after I write it down it's just it's been like the best way to manage grief so i'm really grateful for having done that and worked through this and then because it was present i was able to because it was present i was able to talk about it with you mm. it was top of mind and based on that conversation we touched upon Something that we wouldn't have learned about each other otherwise. Yeah, it's true. It's true. What's something you're grateful for these days? Yeah. Do you say what's something? Yeah, what's something oh, you're grateful for these what's days? What's something I'm grateful for? Hmm. That's a question. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say something really cliche. But, okay, so today I had a conversation with my dad, one of my friends, because I wasn't feeling, like, too happy. And um, I was like, oh, I was sitting in my room, like, I'm not feeling that great. Like, you know, am I just going to, like, get over it? And I was like, no, let me talk to someone um, kind of thing. Um, so my friend was gave me, like, gave me a call and we just had a nice chat. And then the same thing with my dad as well. And I think I'm grateful for people who listen um, to you. I think that's something I'll always be quite grateful for because I like to talk. I really, really do, but I also really like to listen. And um, I think because I like to listen, I know quite a lot about a lot of people, like in quite an in-depth way, because I'm like curious about people. And I think that sometimes, you know, we all have our individual um, ways of being, but I think like everyone likes to talk about themselves. So sometimes people are not very good at listening to you. So I think to have people listen is something that I really appreciate. And I appreciate that 
when people consciously do it and when people just kind of like have that quality like they're very good at at listening to you because I think um one of the main causes of probably upset and sadness in like the world or upset and sadness especially in college is like not feeling like listened to not feeling like you can talk to somebody about stuff maybe feeling like if I speak to somebody about this thing they're gonna judge me like you said as a resident assistant people come to you almost like guilty for the negative feelings that they have like and I feel that it's really important to to listen to people and to open up yourself to be listened to because I think sometimes you can sit there and be like oh you know like no one's gonna care and no one's gonna listen to me and I used to do that all the time like no one's gonna listen to me no one's gonna know how to deal with this problem and sometimes they won't know how to deal with the problem like it's you that really needs to like figure it out but just being listened to and like saying it out really helps so that's something I'm grateful for I'm grateful for people who listen I'm grateful for my dad my parents like all this kind of lovely stuff my friends um but yeah I'm grateful for that what about you what are you grateful for recently you can't see my face right now I'm thinking yeah she's thinking you have I need to say this right Maddie has a very like old Hollywood kind of presence about her when I see her riding her bike like (laughs) on campus I feel like I'm in a film you have like a really like Ooh, like I'm thinking, I'm pondering, I'm like presence about you. It's really nice. I don't know, it's really nice and it's really um it makes me feel really calm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, like Thank just you. old Hollywood calm presence about you. I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you, but you do. I will take that in stride. Yes, Thank so you. it's really it's really lovely. My goodness. Oh. Uh-huh. Ooh. Hello. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't even remember what you asked me. I was you're taking a back. You know, like Audrey Hepburn, you know that picture with her and her like, is it? Yeah, the breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes, the breakfast at Tiffany's thing. You are like that. Like if that picture was a person, that's you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you just call me every morning and just tell me this? (laughs) You have such an iconic like look. Has no one ever told you that before? I have heard that before. I just, I'm... I'm super flattered. I love it. I always, I think that's really, really interesting. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Even the way she speaks. Like, anyway, what are you grateful for, Maddie? <laughs> I am really grateful for the conversations that I've been having recently. Mm-hmm. I went to, well, let me give this a little bit of preface. So I studied abroad in Paris at Sciences Po, and I had um, an incredible opportunity to study media and anthropology, meet a lot of people, live with a French-speaking host family, and that was an experience where I got to spend a lot of time solo Mm. and really just loved it. I learned how much I really like myself and the amount of just joy I get out of being with myself and thinking and working through things and I've had a lot of support in that time Mm. so let's not think that I was out in Paris not calling the people that I love and sharing my experiences but I also was spending a lot of time solving problems for myself And whether that was because I was in Berlin alone or because I was in a host family with a big language barrier, Mm. I um, really appreciate the conversations that I've had coming back to the U.S. in English. Hello. Mm. And there's been a few conversations I've had recently with some I want to say adults like we're adults but proper adults yeah yeah real real life ones (laughs) I'll say post-college you know mortgage adults Mm. um, who have given me the opportunity to talk to them and be really curious and to share what I'm really passionate about and there was one person that I spoke with Um, 
named Brian Christensen at Nike, and he said something really, really powerful to me, mm-hmm. which was throughout the jobs that you do, there's always going to be things that you don't like. Mm-hmm. And, but there might be one thing that you like, so recognize that and try to find it in your next job, or there might be two things that you like. He said that it took until he was about 40 to like 90% of the things that he was doing. Mm. So that got me thinking. And I, like you, like to interview people and ask questions and be curious. So I was talking to my family and I asked my dad, you know, what's, what's something that throughout all the jobs you've had, and he's done everything from manage museums to have an ice cream company to advise green tech startups he's done everything under the sun Mm. and he he has this kind of joie de vivre around about him that just makes him really really young Mm. he said that the thing throughout all the experiences he's had is that he loves helping people solve their creative problems and Mm -hmm. work on their creative endeavors. And I waited because I knew that there was something else. Mm Because I think of him as a Renaissance man with a little bit of, um, with quite a bit of dissatisfaction. I think he's still trying to find that satisfaction as well. So I waited and like clockwork, he said, but I always wonder what it would be like for me to pursue my own creative endeavors. Mm. And I was like, well, there you go. I knew it mm-hmm. <laughs> right on time. So I'm really grateful for the conversations that I've been having because of the vulnerability of the proper adults, capital P, capital A, mm. <laughs> around me <laughs> that I don't think many people would have the opportunity to have yeah the trust that they're instilling in me to share those things and the kind of ripple effects that it's having Mm. into other conversations yeah it's like links and stuff it's really good i think one thing that i really like about um the person from nike 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 we say nike you guys say nike 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 (laughs) It's an American company. Nike, 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 Nike. <laughs> I'm saying Nike. Um, it's this whole idea of um, like you go into a job, you pick like something that you like, and then you see if you can find it in another job, and like you hope that that kind of the stuff that you like grows, I suppose. And I think that in some ways we can apply that to ourselves, um, and apply that to like becoming our the best versions of ourselves that you pick the thing that satisfies you when I cook that makes me feel really good when I hang around this person that makes me feel really good when I read this kind of stuff it makes me feel good and kind of like formulate your own kind of list of what makes you feel happy and what makes you feel content like one of my best friends used to always speak about contentment and I never got it because I thought like it was a code word for like being really lazy he would talk to me about like yeah you know in my life I just want to be content and I'll be like content I'm trying to be rich what do you mean content do you know what I mean and I'm I be lavish exactly I'm trying to live, live it up live large like I'm really trying to be lavish and bougie and everything which is valid which I'm definitely is- trying to be va- very <laughs> you know, lavish. But I think that what you have understood and what I'm increasingly understanding is that like finding what makes you say the word satisfied, I'll say content, but I think that it all merges into the same thing. And um, I do think that it is important to have those like, okay, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it. And it just makes life a bit better. Like I was saying to you that a lot of people think it's really weird, but I really like watching interviews. Like I do that for fun. And you were like, so do I. And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't know other, well, of course other people do it because they have like thousands of views on YouTube. But I do that and I love to do that. That's something that makes me happy and I'm content just sitting in my room listening to an interview. And 
maybe a little task for like you if you're listening um I do like to make these things more descriptive rather than prescriptive because I think that we're on our own journeys but I do think that like making a list of the stuff that makes you you happy and makes you feel that bit more content or when you look at your gratitude list seeing the things that are like a recurring pattern so if that smoothie on Monday makes you feel really good then maybe drink it every Monday do you know if journaling makes you feel good maybe continue to do that and I think it makes you more grateful and it makes you like more like happy and satisfied and content um so just to lean into yeah your- yeah lean into your unsatisfaction your dissatisfaction too Mm. because yes it's telling you you know I think of Lena Waithe as you're talking about this who has said that she does not always want to write but she has to write Mm. so she's not satisfied not writing yeah and after she finishes a script she's probably still not satisfied but she listens to that voice and she says, there is there is a message that I am the conduit of from God that I need to put on paper mm. and onto a screen. And that's what I'm here to do. So, how I mean, how powerful is that? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. I think Elizabeth Gilbert, like, speaks about something, like, similarish in the same kind of vein like she always she speaks about I watched an interview a really long time ago but about almost like ideas sort of like chasing her you know and I think that sometimes I don't want to say when you are creative because I think that everyone is creative in their own way but sometimes you do have these feelings these thoughts these ideas that like they like hound you and you may not want to like lean away if you might not want to write you might not feel like writing but you have to because you're you're fulfilling like lean away calls it god's design for her god's purpose for her but you know there's i think that that sometimes there is something inside of us that is kind of unexplainable um whether that's an idea a passion a desire whatever it is and sometimes you do need to like explore that to to reach your satisfaction to make you feel satisfied to make you feel content to make you a vessel for change because I do feel like one of my favorite quotes is when you let your light shine you give other people the permission to do the same and that's by Marianne Williamson and I really think that's true when you do that thing that is within you even if it's unexplainable then someone's going to say oh Maddie she does this and she really seems to be enjoying herself doing that thing and maybe I should pursue that thing that I like as well you know and you might not even know that in you eating healthily or like even the way you talk about eating healthily may inspire somebody else to go on their own journey to achieving like wellness and stuff like that so that's the whole point you know I post what I post and I make what I make because it might inspire somebody that's really out of my control yeah but it also inspires me it's really creatively fun and Mm. delicious Mm. everything I make is delicious or if it's not I'll change it Mm. but (laughs) I won't post something if it's not delicious so if it inspires you you know that makes me feel good yeah 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 so like wrapping up we could speak forever and ever with your old Hollywood voice but um I think I listen to too much Terry Gross. Oh, who, I don't, I don't I know love. who that is. Who's that? Terry Gross is the host of NPR's Fresh Air. Okay. And she's just the most brilliant interviewer Really? Ever. Yeah, kind of in the way that Oprah is a brilliant interviewer for her ability to gauge the audience's reaction mm. to whomever she's interviewing. Terry Gross is a brilliant interviewer in that she makes her interviewee feel really empowered to share things that are vulnerable but on their terms. Mm. That's great. They're brilliant. I love that. I need to check her out. But yeah, um, what's next for for Maddie, McC- <laughs> Maddie McCann? What's next for you? We both have like a 
passion, I guess, or for sharing or for the media or however we want to put it. Um, what's next? What's what's the the goal or some of the goals? Like where where would you want to be for you to say that I am truly like I'm really satisfied? Mm. I want to share more. I want to share my personal creativity more in a more permanent way. Mm. So I love sharing things on Instagram stories, but they they go away after 24 hours, so they're safer. I want to share things in a more fleshed out, quasi-permanent way mm. so that I can not only you know, recognize those patterns that I've done for my own personal journaling and all the thousands and thousands of photos Mm. in my phone, but in public and to see what comes out of that. You know, people have said all the time that I should do a, a food Instagram. And for some reason, that's always felt really pigeonholed for me. I'm trying to think, you know, there's so many of those Mm. (laughs) but what would make it really different and I think that what's next for me is not worrying about that and just quasi permanently putting out what I want just because I think it's cool yeah because I think what I do is pretty cool yeah and when you say what you do, it's like the making food. You do on your Instagram, you know, you do a lot of things. I didn't even know about the food making until basically today because that's not, I see a lot of stuff that you do. You are amazing, amazing. You do a lot of stuff. So when you say share, is it sharing everything that you do or like focusing on the, on the food or? It's when I think, ooh. I want to share this Mm. doing the damn thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you hope that, do you have like hopes that it will inspire people? Or is it just like you want to share because you want to share? I want to share because I want to share it. And the only thing holding me back from doing that is me. Mm. So that's a kind of smaller term goal. Larger term um, I'm trying to get employed yes, in something that allows me to travel, really challenge me, mm. have incredible mentors, and give my all to just making sure that my team is supportive in whatever creative endeavors, whatever problems that need to be solved I want to be able to support my team in those initiatives that's amazing I just want to learn that's the most important thing I think having like a teachable spirit is like the most beautiful thing any individual can have at any age because we never know we can never know everything Mm -hmm. you know um and that would be boring yeah it will be boring, but I do think that nowadays people really like to act like they know everything. It's like the cool thing to do. Like I'm an expert in this or this, but I think sometimes we like no, I'm a student of, a student of life. I'm. A student. I love not knowing. Oh, I think it's fun because, oh, okay. So let's say that I have these ingredients and I don't know how they go together. I don't know how they go together, so that opens it up an opportunity for me. Mm. So then I can go into my little stash of cookbooks or I can go online or I can see what other things I have and I can put them together. Mm. That's partly why I'm so inspired by Chef Samin Nosrat, who's coming to Scripps, um, because she really wants, through her salt, fat, acid, heat cookbook, she really wants to empower home cooks to think in that way, to think in terms of abundance mm. or the Instagram brown kids they do a lot of um, zero waste and minimalist living with a mindset of abundance Mm. and that's why I think not knowing something is really fun because then 
there's an, an abundance of things you can learn from that. Yeah, of course, of course. What's like your your final words to like the people listening today all about health, wellness, mental health, journaling, being grateful, satisfaction? What's like a thing that you would like them to take away amongst all the things that they've probably taken away from this conversation? Hmm. I would say give yourself a moment to think about when you felt really good and really energized or really grounded or for you you like feeling very effervescent Mm. Um, when did you feel that way and why and how can you recreate that for yourself that's what I would do I love that I love oh I love that (laughs) I love that Everyone write that down and, and close your eyes. And if you have to like rewind and like listen to Maddie say that again, please do. Your You're voice, gassing me up. Your <laughs> voice is so, no, it's actually so relaxing. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so nice. Um, Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Maddie underscore McCann. Just look in my link and just don't click on anything that seems like it's looking for missing children. Yeah, no. I'm very much not missing. She's not missing. She's really here and present. Is it Maddie McCann at Maddie underscore McCann on Instagram, Twitter? What? Yeah, that would be on Instagram. And I'm Maddie McCann on Facebook. My Twitter is not too live right now. So okay. stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. That's cool. Okay, I'm also on Pinterest. Oh, you use Pinterest? Do I use Pinterest? Oh, you're a foodie, so you must do. I I have this thing where um, I put, like, the different months on Pinterest and then I pin, like, what I want to do, like, in that month. But Pinterest, I always think of, like, um, middle-aged women are the only ones who use that. Yeah, throw me in there. Yeah? I'm fully, you... fully committed to Pinterest. Okay. Fantastic. So <laughs> Fantastic. I would say that's Maddie. That's at Maddie McCann 19, no underscore. And that's M-A-D-D-I-E-M-C-C-A-N-N. Great. One thing I get people to do at the end of the show is um, say thank you for listening to Just Over 20. Um, I've had somebody do it in a southern accent. I've had somebody do it in French. I've had somebody do it in Creole. Um, And in your old Hollywood, beautiful, relaxing voice, I would love you to say like a like a little closing like thank you for listening to just over 20 you can add some sugar and spice whatever you you like but yeah thank you all for listening to just over 20 yay bye guys <laughs>